0: Where are you from? Where, where are you from? Yep. Why are you here? Yep. What do you have? Where are you going? How do you want to live?
1: Uh, man, this is another special episode of the Athlete Investment Podcast, man. We, we got um, a really special guest. Man, I appreciate oh. <laughs> it, I appreciate
0: it, I appreciate being blessed.
1: Uh, a former Cowboys coach, he was actually my coach uh, for a while, he coached us. Um, former Cowboys player, yeah. you know, yeah. pro bowler or pro, I don't want to, you know, put a lot of emphasis on that because I know you more, you more than that. So mm-hmm. Andre Girard, I'm gonna let you introduce yourself and who you are as a person. I think as an athlete, we don't have a lot of, um, we identify as as what we do. Right, And I didn't want to do that. I didn't want that to overshadow
0: who you actually are. I would say to people, you've done a great service. And if I were to introduce myself, I would say that I'm a imperfect person that gets to wake up every day and understand more and more how magnificent and how precious life is and how much of a blessing it is to be able to impact people in any mm-hmm. possible way that I can.
1: And when was it like, like, like? cause obviously, you know, uh, uh, there's no way that you had that insight on your life, your whole life, right? No, Especially no. from playing in the league. I know how it is playing and I know what we see in the league. I know uh, who we encounter, who's mm-hmm. in the locker room, what you inspired by, why you're in the league. When did you like learn that
0: about yourself? Um, a lot of this learning came after playing the game of football, some during, uh, some during coaching, but I remember being very young. Um, always being in church. Uh, my my father and my mother made sure I, we stayed in church. Um, Sunday school programs, Easter programs. Always asking questions. Christian. Yeah, I mean, yep. not preaching, just learning. I was a part of Young Life, yep, and yep. so there was always this this piece of my life that. I felt as if I didn't understand. And when I look back at certain things that happened in my life, uh, even with the people that I was around, I could never figure out why I made it and they didn't make it. And Mm -hmm. so what I did um, when making decisions and moving in different ways, I tried to remember all the people that I encountered to remember them and whatever position that I was in to treat it very precious because by treating it precious and respectful, I was honoring the people that I came across in my life. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And so uh, even the guys that I played high school football with, the guys that didn't make it to college or didn't make it to the league, very talented guys, yeah. I never forgot that I wish that I would have gotten a chance to see them make it. So the way that I can honor what they did and what they meant to me is to be my best. And so my constant chase of my competition was really with myself for the most part, Uh, understanding what it took to be a pro and then taking that and meeting someone like John Kidna who challenged me about learning the Bible. John Kidna. John (laughs) Kidna. Johnny K, that's my guy. Kidna, yeah, man. I, I remember coming in the locker room, arguing with him, and saying, "Now, nah, John, I just read this. You can't tell me this what it means." And he's like, "Yeah, that's right. That's what you read. That's what it means." He
1: was on that while playing in the league because I know how yes. like how easy it is to fall into so many different temptations, right? You know, and, and when I say temptations, obviously, you know, in the I'm talking about in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, it's more than just. Um, You know when people think of temptations we naturally go to lust right Mm -hmm. but there's other temptations like following you know money you Mm -hmm. know what i'm saying using or thinking money is your god and Mm -hmm. all these different temptations that that's around us like so joe john kidna he was like how he is now while he was in the league
0: that's hard to john kidna was the same guy he had some incidents that happened in his past when he was much younger before he got to the nfl I can tell you from meeting John uh, and working with John uh, he has been that same person throughout and he believes in the development of anybody that comes into his path he wants to see more men follow God and reach Mm -hmm. and understand who they really are and so that's who inspired you the most he inspired me to a different level I think it was a combination of John and the things that my father taught me and the things that my father would ask me, uh, just different riddles and different things in life and how I was connected to the Bible. And I think I got deeper into the Bible um, actually when I got out of the NFL, Um, Mm. because as we know,
1: when you- Wait, let's let's start, let's backtrack
0: because because I think a father
1: aspect is huge, especially in our community, right? And you- uh, for you bringing up your father, right? I grew up, I, I, my dad wasn't around. He Uh-oh. left when I was two. My mom was handicapped. I had to raise my mom. Well, not raise my mom, but I had to take care of my mom at a certain age. Um, but there was things that I look back now that I wish my father would have taught me, you know? And that I hear other people like you saying like, mm-hmm. I learned from my father, I think that's so dope. What, what responsibility do, do, do fathers really have in, Like, you know what I'm saying? I think our culture lacks responsibility, especially as black men. So what responsibility does fathers have and what impact did he play in your life?
0: Fathers have a very
1: big responsibility.
0: Um, I think it plays such a big role, but at the same time, it's misunderstood, it's overlooked, and it's devalued a lot of times in our culture. Uh, Not for all fathers. For some fathers that struggle, like myself, I struggle. And for fathers that are doing the right things, sometimes they, you know, they can get caught mm-hmm. in that shuffle. But we all can aspire to do better, and be there more, and try to help and develop. Mm-hmm. Um, not saying my dad was perfect. My dad was a functioning alcoholic, and mm-hmm. I think by learning from my dad, what he taught me was how to value what's important, which is family.
1: Yeah.
0: How to persevere, even when things don't seem like they're going the right way. Always figure out something to smile about and love and live life.
1: Yeah, see, that's huge. Always figure out something to smile about. There's always something it's so to smile big, about. Yep.
0: Uh, I think most people don't even realize that each day that you wake up, it's a miracle. Mm. You wake up, you got a chance to stand up and walk. And if you were just to remember just that one miracle, how could you have a bad day? You right, can have right, a right. bad moment, but you can't have a bad day
1: right, 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 because
0: you're alive. So your success rate to this point is 100%. You've overcome any and everything that's happened to you. Whether it turned out favorably for you or it didn't, you're still here, mm-hmm. which means that there's a lot left in you that you have to do see
1: i don't even see in my viewpoint man i don't even believe in a bad moment you know or like i don't believe in good or bad you know i just feel like you you just going through life and you're going to encounter these obstacles experiences and i just see everything that i encounter as being an experience Mm -hmm. right and yeah we might have negative or positive emotions while we're encountering certain you know obstacles that we're going through but Emotions is a good, th- like, like in my viewpoint, emotions is a good thing as, as long as they're controlled, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, just, just, just speeding back up to the conversation of where you was going with it about how you found Christ, mm-hmm. even after Kitna, you know what I'm saying? But you found Christ after you got out the league. What caused that to happen? I know there's a huge identity crisis that we all go through.
0: It's very interesting that you say that because there is an identity crisis that's happening. And it happens with a lot of us. It happens with a lot of guys that first believe that the cheers are for them. See, there's the separation between- Wait, wait, step back on that. I'm going to explain. Okay, okay, okay. I'm (laughs) going to explain. So we we have gotten into a sport. We're doing something that we've actually been practicing for since the age of six, Mm -hmm. to be a professional. And the moment that you step in to become a professional, you're lucky enough to get drafted or you make a team. The clock is running, and that clock has a time stamp on it from when it's time for that profession to be over. We never know when that clock is supposed to hit. And so we begin to fall into the trap of thinking at a very young age, the cheers and the admiration, mm-hmm. that's for what I'm doing. That's for who I am. And we don't realize that. The cheers and the admiration are for a gift that you possess. That's not who you are.
1: Right, 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 because
0: right. the moment that you don't possess that gift, you're still a person. Right. And so when people don't find the separation between the two, you go through this cycle of depression. You go through the cycle of trying to figure out what you're going to do. You go through the cycle of what am I supposed to do in life because you've let the cheers influence who you're supposed to be when you haven't realized that that's just your gift.
1: Right, and how many years you played again? Twelve years. So you played twelve years. Was a how many times pro bowler? Five-time
0: pro bowler, two-time all-pro, top 100 player. Yeah.
1: Made millions, right? Mm-hmm. And you still, you telling me that you still went through this thing that, because obviously, I mean, I went through it, right? Mm-hmm. I only played six years, um, you know, was a special team player. I never really felt like I got a real opportunity to make you know, to make something really happen, right? Mm-hmm. But you got all the, uh, you reached the pinnacle of the NFL, right? Mm-hmm. You reached the top. And you telling me you still went through that identity crisis. Absolutely. After 12 years of,
0: of what people call, what other people would say is very successful. Absolutely. I would say the average player, uh, as we know, plays 3.3 years. 100%. I played 12. I can't tell you how many people's careers that I played. I can even tell you that even as a second round draft pick, I don't think, and having Bill Parcells as a head coach mm-hmm. um, uh, in my second year, I can tell you that as a second round pick every day I thought I was going to get cut until I got a contract. What? Every single day. Uh, the The intention to detail, the energy, the focus that existed in the locker room, the level of competition, I literally thought every single day I was going to get cut. And even after the contract, I felt as if the team were going to say that, okay, well, he's worked this hard, now he's lazy. That only made me work harder because now I have to prove to you why I deserve it. So now every single day I'm working, I have to do more and I have to do more. So when we do our off-season workouts at 7.30, 8 o'clock in the morning, I'm finishing our off-season workout, <laughs> driving from that workout to go do another workout for another hour and a half, finishing that workout, driving, then driving to go do applied martial arts for another hour and a half, only to return back to my house, take a shower, relax, and then get up at night and then go do cardio again for another 45 minutes, just to say that I worked today.
1: So you was living in that much of was it fear like is is that what you call it or was it i think anxiety it
0: was or i would say it was fear it was anxiety and the need to be great at something right right right. i think that far too often when we're in this game in the level of competition when we're playing against each other it's not that we just want to be good we want to be great at it and there are certain limitations that happen physically mentally emotionally whatever it happens on that field that can keep us from that but if we truly work to it we're absolutely trying to be great at what we do, Right. which yeah, is 100%. why you played the game as long as you played it, and you went through the pains that you went through to get to the level that you were at. 100%. So therefore, you want to be great, mm-hmm. and in my mind, I, I kept chasing the fact that I needed to be great.
1: Man, backtracking on on the on the on the fact that you were saying like, you went through. Uh, Every day you thought you was going to get cut, man. Every I got a funny day. story. You, I know you remember Coach Besach. Absolutely. Yeah, man. Coach Besach used to literally because I came in my rookie year, I was super overweight. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I mean, you, after you get drafted, you go through that period, or after you do your pro day and combine, you go through that period to where you're not like, training are you doing this traveling and going to to visit people teams and stuff like that and then the draft happens and you kind of relax and take the foot off the gas a little bit mm-hmm. well i did right you know i know you, you 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 probably was a different breed that's why you no i did you i did, did. okay yeah, okay did. cool so i went from being 215 at the combine to coming in at probably like 228.
0: Okay, it's not too bad, but for yeah, a, but as for a, a safety, secondary player, yeah, that's a big job. As, as a safety, yeah. right? And
1: Coach Besach used to tell me every single day, like, you're going to get cut. You're going to get cut. So as a six-round draft pick, uh, he used to say it, and he he, he wasn't saying it like that. Be, I mean, you know how Coach mm-hmm. Besach talked. He was like, you're going effing cut your ass? And I was like, damn, like, you know what I'm saying? I just got here.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But from you saying that you went through that, it's kind of surprising because – I know how I was playing on the field, like you you, you can't play when you in that much fear. How hard is that? And now you're on the coaching side, right? Mm-hmm. So you, I know you are, you, you saw both sides of it. What's your take on that and how hard it is for players to actually play and try to be successful in the NFL knowing you're under so much stress, you're under so much, you know, you got millions of eyes on you watching you every single night, mm-hmm. right? You got the social media now. I mean, that was just started to get, get real popular when you was finishing out your career. Mm-hmm. How hard is it in this day's generation to truly be successful in the league?
0: It's, it's, it's really, it's difficult um, because there's so many avenues in which you can choose to get in trouble. Um, it's also difficult because you're being evaluated for being on the field but most people don't even know who you really are, um, and I'll come to that, and we're gonna to get to that in just a second. <laughs> most people don't know who you are, and there's a rule that I live by when it comes to that. And then there's also understanding the price that you have to pay to truly be in the position that you're in, which is going to cost you self discipline right, to yeah. the highest degree. Um, what I tell players, and I'm not, and I don't know if it's if it's taboo. I don't know if it's anything that players have ever heard a coach say, I have said to players, hey, let's get this completely understood right now. I need you more than you need me. You tell players that as a coach? Tell players that as a coach. Oh, yeah. I need you more than you need me. And they'll say, wait a minute. So now we're being honest (laughs) because Mm -hmm. they'll replace a coach before they replace a player. So I need you more than you need me. How can I help you be the player that you want to be? I'm going to give you everything that i'm going to give to you you can hold me to the fire this is how i'm going to pour into you now when i offer that up i need you to be receptive and i need you to figure out what you're going to pour into me and now if we can sit there and hold each other accountable for that development there's something stronger than just a coach see now i have somebody that i can confide in Mm -hmm. now i have somebody that cares about me as a person, not just a player. Right. And I understand that there's a revolving door with the NFL. And even being with the team and being removed from the team, I still stay in touch with the players that I coached. Right, right, Because right. what I said to you, I never lied to you. I care about you as a person. Right,
1: right. Was it was it tough? Because that's a dope insight. That's like, And I feel like you only got the insight because you actually lived it, mm-hmm. you know, and wasn't very much removed from it when and when you transition into the coaching role was it tough being in the locker room with the coaches and seeing how they talk about players and like stuff like that was that a tough part of the transition
0: it is it is because being in in that position you see the coaches who are doing their best but they're also they have also have a lot on their shoulders as well I mean based on how you perform on the field this is exactly how these young, these men who are trying to lead you feed their families right right take care of everything that's going on in the house mm-hmm. and so there is that added pressure to try to demand perfection out of the player and to coach him hard to never get satisfied to yeah. always want to push for more and then on the other side as a player you're trying to understand why this coach is doing all this stuff and doing and having all these extra requirements. Right, yeah. It's one, to cover the fact that he covered everything that he possibly could cover, even though there is an 80% chance that you may never see what's about to happen. Yeah. But he can say that it's been covered before because he's trying to work for his livelihood as well. So you have a situation because you're not really building a team, you're building a tribe. That's a whole mm-hmm. other question.
1: But you're, build, <laughs> but you're
0: building a tribe, and if you effectively build a tribe, that each person understands that my livelihood is based off of what you do, and vice versa. So let's work together to get this done.
1: I think that's one thing about the league, because it seems like it's a, a every man is out for themselves. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Even I think the best teams is the teams that come together, but it's not. It's not likely that you see that often that that like people actually like coaches and players, uh, collectively want to mutually support each other, like who really care about the actual individual. So I say that, but I also want to lead into the question of asking you, like, why did you
0: choose the coaching route? Ah, Man, that's a great story. I never told anybody this. Uh, I got into coaching um, after really wanting to just train linemen. Um, I was at a school called Parish Episcopal, which is twenty five minutes down the street and that at the time the head coach was a gentleman named Scott Natty. You said Parish Episcopal. Parish Episcopal. Where private is that school. So it's off of <clears throat> midway and six thirty-five. In okay. a private school area, they're playing taps. Yep. And I'm at the school and I meet this gentleman named Scott Natty, who is the head coach. Um, my business advisor and mentor son was going to the school and they thought it'd be a good idea if I wanted to get into training mm-hmm. to meet the head coach to potentially train some of these athletes. Right. And I'm going to tell you what happened. I walked in and I sat down to talk to Scott Natty, and, and Scott Natty is a coach at SMU now. Very, very. He's the coach now at SMU. He's a special teams okay. coach at SMU. Um, his story, his story, I can't even begin to put into words. And you probably want to take a sip before I tell you exactly what he said. The first, <laughs> the first thing he said, uh, walking in his office, I see a picture um, behind his desk, and I see his two kids. I'm like, oh. Hey coach, man, you got some beautiful kids. I see your two kids. He said, Yeah, those are kids uh 14 and 15. I'm sorry. You have fifteen kids? He said, No, my wife had 13 miscarriages.
1: Damn.
0: So now we I have no idea what we're about to talk about. I'm just sitting in the chair and sitting back like, whoa. Yeah, like And how, he begins how do you to respond to that, yeah. He begins to go into his story and talk about different things and he's talking about coaching. And all the people that recruited me in high school, every single coach, he personally knew. And so this 30 minute meeting turned into a three and a half hour meeting. And the last thing he said was, well, how often can you be here? I said, well, coach, I can probably be here on a Monday or Tuesday, maybe a Thursday. He said, what about the games? I said, well, yo coach, I'll try to make, you know, a few games here and there because I'm just getting out of football. So I really didn't want to be back in football that way. And then he said this to me he said if there is a drug stronger than showing a person what to do and watching them have success with it i don't want it and i said what are you talking about he said you'll never know <laughs> until it happens to you and i began working with the guys and i never missed a day I, from training camp through games i never missed a day because what i saw was myself pouring into a group of kids who didn't really have a whole lot of athletic ability, but attempting to do what I'm asking them to do and watching them have success with it against people that they have no business blocking. And I'm watching them in amazement. My center was 212 pounds.
1: Right, right, right. Blocking
0: a nose tackle, that was 290. <laughs> and at the end of practice, after... She does like me blocking yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, So at the, so at the end of practice... These kids work hard, these kids run so hard, they're they're barely making it through practice. They walk up to you, they reach their hand out, and they shake your hand they say, coach, thank you for coming out here today, I appreciate it. You made me better today. And then they walk off. So every just, practice, every day. So just that feeling of helping people. The feeling, the fulfillment of being able to help is what got me.
1: Hey, that's deep, that's deep. Uh, Man, I feel like helping people is big, you mm-hmm. know, and I, I think that's what God, you know, and we'll touch on that part too. I know uh, we, we was, yeah, we de- definitely touch on that part a lot too. But I feel like that's what God called us to do. Like that's why we're here, mm-hmm. is to give back to people, is to help people, is to, to, you know, if we see somebody in need, is to pour into that person. Mm-hmm. So that's dope. That that's what you know, that's, that's your purpose, right? You know. Well, we,
0: I, I will tell you because we talked about this a little while ago. We talked before about we purpose. started, the camera started. And that's, and that's and why I started laughing. For a <laughs> we minute. started laughing because we were getting into it. And so, in part of my development, which you asked me earlier, the things that wound up happening was my business advisor, uh, Mark Christie. Hey, we gotta um, t- yo, yo. And we got to talk, yep. And he gave me this list. Um, and the first question he asked me was, where are you from? I'm looking at the man crazy like, dude, I'm from Houston, Texas. He said, no. I said, what are you talking about, dude? I was born in Houston. I am born in Fifth Ward on Chapman Street at (laughs) a Hospital block. He said, no, you're not from Houston. I said, yes, I am. I said, well, am I from Hearn? Because my parents are from Hearn, Texas, which is 30 miles outside of Brian Cox Station. He said, no. He said, I'll give you the answer to the first question. I said, what is the answer? He said, you're a spirit in an earthly suit. I said, okay. I get that. I'm I was born I'm from God I'm a spirit in a body got it he said now the next question that I'm going to ask you I know the answer but I refuse to give you the answer I'm think to myself this is a trick question why would you ask somebody a question if right. you already know the answer he said it's because you yourself have to find out the answer you have to dig inside yourself to find it out and I didn't understand what he was saying and so the next question was why are you here? And I looked at him. I said, what? He said, you need to ask yourself the question. Why are you here? And understanding why are you here? Why are you here? You're trying to define the actual specific God given gift that is inside you that you're supposed to embrace and like develop in front of the world. Mm-hmm. and so in trying to go through that exercise and define that gift it is I didn't sleep for seven days
1: and I think that's tough when 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 did he tell you this this was in
0: 2014 this,
1: so this after you was done with the
0: league after I was done with the league see and I think seven that's the toughest days. part
1: is because we lived our whole life playing a sport that was yeah it was a physical gift right yep. uh but what's our God-given gift? Like, you know, a physical ability is one, but he always, did. like, there, there's also uh, some sort of another gift that we have to figure out, what are we good at, right? Mm-hmm. And I tapped in, I believe I tapped into mine soon. I believe that, you know, cause my background, I grew up in the hood, went to Christian schools. Um, so I was around so many types of different people, right? Mm-hmm. And from me being around so many people, I was able to relate to, so now I'm able to relate to all different types of people. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can have a 70 year old grandma sitting here, have a full blown conversation with her, but it's because God put me in those situations for me to be able to adapt to it and learn from it now. Absolutely. You know, and expand off of it. So with that being said, like, what
0: do you think your gifts are? Well, and And finding out and digging and finding out the reason why, part of my gift is to be here to inspire. So when I went back to him and told him the word, he said, yeah, you got it. That is absolutely right. I'm like, finally. (laughs) In seven days, I finally answered this question. He hit me with another doozy. Okay, so who are you supposed to inspire? What? It just took me seven days to figure out what what I'm here to do. Now you're telling me that I have to take another seven days to figure out who I'm supposed to inspire? Right, he said, yeah. yes.
1: Yeah. And so... So these are the questions that you think that somebody that's dealing with trying to figure out who they are. Five life questions, five. Okay, and the first one is... Where are you is, from?
0: Where, where are you from, yep. Why are you here? Yep. What do you have? Where are you going? How do you want to live?
1: And, if you can answer
0: those five questions, And most people, like they're in our situation, when they transition from the game, if that part was happening while they were getting ready to transition from the game, probably probably a year or so before they transition, you can cut the number of guys that will find themselves in bad situations. Because again, they're taking the time to do this deep self-dive, and at Mm -hmm. the same time, money is still flowing so that they they can, Really reach into their self to figure out what's happening, but what happens is the career is cut short, mm-hmm. and you have no idea when that that end's going to happen. So for some guys, it may be year twelve. Some guys it may be year six or seven. Some guys it may be year two. How many guys do you see that's still trying to hang on to something that
1: that is unlikely? You know, you know, because I, I mean that's a tough. It's a very very tough conversation to have with somebody because. We all know in order to make it to the NFL, you had to give it your all. You have to. You had to basically have no backup plans, right? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, you had to be like, hey, this is what I'm doing. I'm going to do it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I went to school for child development because it was the easiest way to graduate. Just to, just so I could graduate because I knew I was going to play in the league, right? But, But we say that, and I don't want to be a hypocrite, but also, like, we're telling somebody to we're not saying have a backup plan, but how do you get that across the players? Though
0: it's hard. It's hard because I would ask. You, I would ask you the question. You said that you knew you were going to the league. At what age did you know you were going to play in the NFL? Oh, at a very young age, I, Most guys will say at that. Very young age. Yeah. And the reason why I know I can, I can believe that because I can tell the same story. And for most guys that truly play a significant amount of time, I can't say all, but for most, at some point in time, through the ages of. I'll even go from nine to about 13. Yeah. Someone has said to them, you're going to play in the NFL. And when did you know? I was nine years old. You nine years old. And who told, told you that? Uh, my Pop Warner football coach said that one day he's going to be good enough to play in the NFL. I was at uh, San Jacinto, uh, TCAC Oilers. It was after practice. I could. It was eight, 835 at night. Was talking to my mom. You knew the exact time. I know the man. exact <laughs> time, and I remember telling my mom when the guy, when the coach told my mom, she said, "Oh, that's funny." Uh, I mean, she said, "Well, that's cool." I said, "No, nah, mom, you don't understand. I'm going to play. Like right, you right. think I'm joking?" Right, she said, yeah. "Babe, I understand you saying that. What's your other plan?" And I laid out, I wanted to go to school, I wanted to get my degree, I wanted to have something to do with architecture, which I didn't, but I wound up doing some AutoCAD stuff on computers, and I wanted to do all these different things. So at nine years old, I had to provide a plan to my mother and father with how I wanted to live life. And I had to be able to recite that plan whenever they asked me. I don't know why they asked me to do that. And so for my mom, it was like, okay, uh, I need you to tell me how you're going to do it. What are you going to do next? What are you thinking about? How are you going to get here? Like those questions were being asked as a child by my mother, throughout the entirety of my childhood. From your parents? From my parents. Do you realize that that's like some
1: elite parenting to to make you like because you're picturing it the whole way through. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And like uh, as you're imagining it, it's actually manifesting right in front of you. You know what I'm saying? Like like. You, you, I mean, I know you were taught, like, to have picture boards and all this stuff, but them literally asking you that every, like, all the time. How, how often was they asking you
0: that? It may be once every <laughs> three, four months or whatever, but you definitely have to have an answer. Right, exactly. The, that way, if they asked you a question, a parent, a household, if they asked you a question and you didn't have an answer, to say, um, means you're going to get an ass whooping. <laughs> <laughs> so, provide an answer to the question that they asked you. What are you going to do in life? Get an answer. Right. I don't know what, I don't care what the answer is. Give me an answer. What's your backup plan to that answer? Have another answer. Okay. I'm going to leave you alone. Right. But too many ums and uhs, oh no, they weren't having that.
1: Man, that's big time.
0: And so I I didn't think of it as a picture, I didn't have a picture board. What I used to think of is if I want to do this, how is this going to look? What do I want to do? How is this going to happen? And even having a picture, it doesn't mean that it's not going to be tested. But at least if you talk to players and you get players to really have a picture of what they're going to do outside of the game, I think it will help a lot of guys because a lot of guys are being taught, you know, this they're being taught to transition from the game to be employees, Mm. but they're not being Mm. taught to transition from the game to be employers. Mm. And that's two different lines of thought. And I don't see that with a lot of our players that are being taught how to transition from the game be self-sufficient and employ other people how much do you think it comes from us being uh
1: culturally with our people in a press position because I mean obviously I mean you think about the NFL Mm -hmm. what is it 75 percent 80 percent black right Mm -hmm. how much do you think that plays a part in it you know what I'm saying because honestly like when you when and when you talked about where are you from that's the first thing I thought about Mm -hmm. it's like damn like I really could not tell you, because if you think about the history books, what yeah, we learned no, in history schools, mm-hmm. it, you would think that we came from, like that we was born on the slave ship, like we would just happened to appear on the slave ships, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that's what you would think. But, so how much do you think that plays a fact in us just automatically thinking that we're, we're not made to be
0: employers? I think that you have to reevaluate and change your mindset every single day. Um, you were told, like I was told growing up, these are the people you're competing with. These are the jobs you're competing for. This is how you have to prepare. This is how you have to perform. And with those things that happen, you build this mindset of of I have to outwork somebody but do you know what our working that person looks like? Most of us don't have access or know anyone who's done something that we're trying to do. We don't right. know what that picture looks like. Right. But right. when we begin to read, when we begin to put ideas together, when we begin to imagine, when we begin to have context and contact with people of what it might look like or what I may want my life to look like, you begin to align yourself in that way and begin to move in that direction. How important is reading? It's... I was not a big reader growing up, and I can tell you that uh, I, I read when I needed to read. Um, I've recently have been big into the reading more, better. I mean, reading more and more. I'm getting better at it, uh, and I'm also into the audiobooks. And so, Ooh, audiobooks,
1: yeah. Oh man,
0: and so the audiobooks they they become a lifesaver. So drives to and from work, and times where you're in the car and you're listening to a book, and you don't realize that you literally listen to a whole entire book so i've listened to i've gone through probably about five books so far this year oh wow uh, yeah and the amount of I mean, information like, that you're able one every to other recall, month. Yeah. yeah the amount of information that you're able to recall and pick up and how these words and this advice can be potentially used in your own life that's it's invaluable mm-hmm. but most of us won't even take the time to sit down and just listen for 30 minutes but we'll watch a TV show for an hour and a half. That's crazy. <laughs> that, or we'll listen to somebody's album for Yeah, we'll listen to somebody else's album for two hours. And you're all, all you're asking yourself to do is take 30 minutes for yourself to develop each and every day. And then when you look back after six months, a month, a year, watch how far you've come. Because mm-hmm. you took some time to, for self-development. And that's all we're really trying to do. Right. I think when people stop trying to develop themselves, they limit themselves and how much they can grow.
1: So if I'm trying to transition, right, you know, I went through a tough time mm-hmm. and I, I, I talk about it a lot. Uh, I got released from the Bengals after six years, mm-hmm. haven't been released before. They actually called me and released me. So I I, th- I think that even kind of was a little bit more disrespectful because wow. he didn't he, he, he even sit down with me like, bro, you can at least sit down with me. Right. But, um, how important? Like, like let's let's recapture these five questions that you talked about. The mm-hmm. five questions that an athlete should go over. Let's recapture those because, I mean, I really want to put a lot of emphasis on that. Mm-hmm. You know, the five questions that actually should ask themselves in order to properly uh, transition. Right? You said, where, where, where are you, are you from? from?
0: Why am I here? what do you have where are you going how do you want to live so you talked about the first two now what what do you have i have a group of people that i try to surround myself around that can help my vision grow because what i have to also understand that understanding your purpose all all good Mm -hmm. understanding your purpose your vision has to be big enough, or what you're trying to do has to be so big enough that you have to bring other people along with you. Right. Yeah. When you're developing your vision, your wife has come along with you to help you develop it, as my wife as well, and as my friends and family and everything <laughs> have come along with me. And so when I'm trying to develop who I am and how I want to do things, they may be the who that I need to point me in a direction of what I need to go and what I need to get and who I need to partnership with. It's all about being able to work in conjunction with everybody yeah. that's around you so that you can get this thing moving forward.
1: Right, so I, you know why I smile. Oh yeah. We you talked about the wife. Oh yeah. You know, and we were and we, and we, and we discussing this a little bit. Um, and I feel like we live in a society now uh, to where um, I feel like submit is a bad word. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, like me and my wife, our dynamic of our relationship is that um, she, she is, we have a very, very great balance, a great balance for both of us. She hold down, she hold down everything, bro. I could not do anything that I'm doing without her, mm-hmm. you know, and I'll put that out. You know, people think that, you know, we, we, we you talk about 50-50 or are we equal? No, we're one, right? So how, how much of the principles that you stand on, what are the principles that you stand on when it comes to you and your wife, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, um, cause I stand on like, you know, in the Bible it says your wife is supposed to submit to man, mm-hmm. right? And I don't think that's a bad, submit is not a bad thing, but man, me, right? I submit to God. Mm-hmm. So ultimately like my wife is submitting to God mm-hmm. through me. And 19 Keys touched on this a little bit. And I thought it was, he did an amazing job with it. He, I, He's actually a person that I'm super inspired about. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or inspired from. So, what is your dynamic of y'all relationship?
0: Well, I would say that it's not 50 50. It's not 50 50 because we're not partners. It's 100 mm-hmm. 100. I have to give 100% of myself because she's going to give 100% of herself. Yep. And the first thing that I have to do is I have to submit to God. Exactly. She has to see me submit in agreement with God and how That's I'm trying time. to live yep. and how I'm trying to walk. I have to prove that to my wife every day. I fail in a lot of situations. I raise my voice, sometimes I cuss at her, sometimes I do all these things. I'm an imperfect person, but I'm trying to figure this thing out. And I've said those things to her because I know that she's trying to figure me out. Mm. I can't ask her to submit to me totally if she doesn't see me submitting myself totally to what the Lord is asking me to do. Mm. And so when she sees me walking in that light A lot of the times when our conversations that we're having, our disagreements we're having, she may not necessarily hear me in the beginning. And I may not agree with what she's saying, but what I will take and what I will do is I will sit back and try to figure out what she's trying to say. And I still will love on her, and I still will caress, and I still will try to connect with her. And she will then, even in the arguments, want to still come back and connect with me. So it's a working process so that we are both sacrificing towards each other.
1: How much how much uh, does it does this correspond or correlate with because I know we touched on this a while back. And, you know, we we've had some deep conversations in the Mm -hmm. past couple of weeks about uh, the mastermind. Right. Mm -hmm. And I remember one thing you said is like, you know, being I'll let you touch on it. But I know you was talking about how like it's a mastermind in your marriage as well, too.
0: It is. You have to be in a (laughs) harmonious mind that that. Beautiful piece of information that people tend to overlook is invaluable because Mm -hmm. if you and your wife are always on the same page, there's nothing that can derail you guys moving forward. Mm -hmm. There's nothing that can come against you guys. There's nothing that can divide you because you guys are united. You talked about being in one body. So you become one when you become united, which means you're in agreement. I can't become one if if my hand is flat and I'm I'm a fist. We're just going to oppose each other. But if we can grasp each other and become one Mm -hmm. and be united in a harmonious mind, we can move forward. The mastermind uh, idea was between Firestone, Thomas Edison, and Ford. Each part needed each other for the product to be. Was,
1: uh, uh, dang, what's his name? Yeah, I could have swore it was one more though the 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 yeah. guy who invented steel was I forgot name? yeah I
0: forgot his name too. uh yeah. Andrew Carnegie yep Andrew yep. Carnegie. yep so all in, yep so all of those guys are in partnership <clears> with <throat> each other Carnegie Ford Firestone Addison building this product everybody needs each other everybody's going to win percentages of what they get off the deal is is really up to them how they split the pie but because they were so United the company that they built is still rolling. Is still alive today and still doing well. Mm-hmm. That's how powerful a mastermind group or being in a harmonious mind really truly is. So you and your wife, because y'all you were supposed to dominate in your specific area. Y'all united. Y'all come together. Y'all get things done. And now you are the owner of three gems. Yep, yep. Who would have ever predicted that when you were playing? Who would have ever saw that? Because there are guys that played with you that probably laughed at you. Yep. When you were getting released, or you were you were trying your hardest, or they were starting, yep. there are guys that are with you that laughed at you because they didn't truly understand who they were, and they're going through the process now, and so, like as I kept going back to taking those people through that process at an early and earlier in their career, as soon as possible, will help guys transition out of it. So because we are talking
1: we we you talk about the mastermind. Um, you know, one thing I say is like we don't us as players. It's fifty-three players. Ten, I think they upped the practice squad a little bit more now.
0: Uh, there's nine players in practice squad, so yeah. So it's about yeah, okay, about so
1: sixty-two, so 62 players, yeah, 62 right? Players, like that. Sixty-two players in the locker room, right? You know, we talk about a mastermind group. Imagine if all these athletes was on the same page and not worrying about what um what pot, what bottles I'm about to pop or what club I'm going to. True. Imagine if like we can get the locker room to talk about like. A, and like, hey, what you about to invest in, right? And kind of comparing that, and bouncing ideas off of each other, because people don't really understand how important your mind is. And if all of these athletes can get on the same page and understand like what the ultimate purpose is, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like, cause the one quote I heard, and 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 this is the quote that kind of sat with me, right? And it was like, 90% of black people pass down debt to their kids. Mm-hmm. And I I heard that quote off a podcast, and we can fact check it. We we can look it up and see if that's the actual fact. It's probably more, Mm -hmm. but the fact that I heard that quote, I was like, "Damn, okay." Like, you know, it led me into your next question: Where are you going? Like, like, where am I? Ain't ain't that, ain't that the fourth question? Mm -hmm. Where are you going? And I was thinking about that. Like, okay, if I continue on this rate, if I continue on this path of living life how I was living now, I don't have a job now. Where am I going to end up? Like, where am I going? So, how important
0: is that question to you? It's very important. It's very important because what you don't also realize is that the roadmap that you're living is not for you, it's for your kids to see the steps that you take. Mm-hmm. And so, your young kids are growing up right now and they don't know apples from oranges or whatever the case is, and they're right. developing, they're just really loving and learning life. But at some point, they're going to be able to rely on the fact that I watched my father go through some things I watched what he did I, I can see some of the things that he did we've had conversations mm-hmm. so you're trying to pass down to him a wealth of knowledge that sometimes we don't get sometimes it's single family single mothers, sometimes it's mom and dads and sometimes we've gotten away from and we've gotten away from the fact that it really used to take the community to raise the child so
1: mm-hmm. there
0: was big mama there was little Amy there, Ooh, was, we Grandma, did get away there from was that. there were so many people got that away from poured that. into these kids and now these kids don't have that to pour into. So you got these kids that are coming into the league younger and younger every year with nothing for them to really be poured into because what they see is, what I saw on TV, I saw yeah. these guys popping bottles, I'm the man. Now, dude, pause for a second. Right. You're the man, but how long are you going to be the man? Why did we get away from
1: that? Like, you know what I'm saying? I didn't even, like, I haven't even thought about how the community aspect of, you know, even you grew up in the hood or the ghetto that people made and stuff like that, there was still a community aspect of people looking out for each other. Mm-hmm. How, why did, why did we get away from that? Like, you
0: know what I'm saying? Like, I, I can't tell you exactly why or how. I can, I would have to ask you, of the friends you grew up with, how many friends do you still stay in contact with that you grew up with?
1: You know, I have a close group of four Four guys. Uh, four guys that we, we, three of us been together from kindergarten. Okay. And then the other one we met around first grade. Okay. And, uh, but, I we didn't grow up in the same hoods or anything like that. We we all went to Christian schools at a very young age in mm-hmm. kindergarten. And those four guys is still my closest four best friend, always in my wedding. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So, um, but other than that, and then none of them.
0: I yeah, see, I would say that so for me I have about six guys. I, we've gone to elementary, middle school, high school together. still right. stay in contact with these guys. I'm still the same guy with them that I was when I was you know when we were growing up. Right. And those guys are a representation of holding on to the people in my life that are truly around me and have been around me from the very beginning that want to see right. me win, just like your friends represent for you. And so being around those people and being around those guys, that family dynamic of what how we got away from that, that's what we grew up in. We're trying to replicate that with our friends. And right. so we have to do that for our kids by putting them around similar situations so they can have the same type of experience. Right. But I think with cities mm-hmm. getting bigger, people doing different jobs, families moving around, you lose that connection because we used to stay in the same place for 15 years. 100%,
1: yeah.
0: Now people are moving from house to house and every three, four, five years or whatever yep. the case is. So it's hard for you to build that type of community or that type of network when you're constantly moving around and there's so many things that are going on. And then the last question,
1: let's expand off of that. How do
0: you want to live? So we know that every single one of us was created perfectly, magnificently created. Mm -hmm. We cannot live a life of fear. So how do you want to Mm -hmm. live means do you want to live a fearless and boldless life, a life of fulfillment? The right. life of obstacles, challenges, and everything else that comes with it, but you face the the situation head on. Don't run right. away from the problem, as J C said. Run towards it.
1: Right, 100 percent, 100 percent. How do you want to live? You know, and I think that's that's something I definitely. But I think the problem is, man. Like you know, if we're thinking about like these guys transitioning, the problem is is like nobody looked theyself in the mirror, you know and get a real look at who they really are. No. You know what I'm saying? Like a lot of people are scared to really face their, their battles. Like they're, they're scared to face their bad habits. You know what, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Like I had some bad habits that I looked at myself and I was like, do I want to continue to live like this? Mm-hmm. Right? And I had to ask myself that question, but also be real with myself like, like, and, and, and it's honestly, it's your mm-hmm. five questions. I didn't realize that I did that, but that was a pivotal point in my life because that's when I was, I made a decision. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one thing that people don't make a decision. When did you make the decision to where it was like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do something. I'm going to do something. I'm going to make something. Obviously you made this, you, you made a fortune, you know, you were successful in my eyes, right? Mm-hmm. You know, in a lot of people's eyes, but success is objective mm-hmm. or subjective,
0: Absolutely. right? Um, so when when did you make a decision? I can say that I made that decision, as I was telling you, the transition out of football. I'm sorry, matter of fact, I was beginning to make that decision the last year of football, and I can tell you exactly what happened. Um, I was invited to be a part of a mastermind group here in Dallas. And what's the group, if you don't mind? It, oh, it, it, no problem. It's it's it, the, it. it was the John Dealey mastermind group, John Dealey. John Dealey's great grandfather planned the whole entire city of Dallas. I had no idea who I was sitting in front of when I was asked to be a part of this group. And I sat in this room and there were, there were 20 other people in this room. Of course, there weren't too many people that looked like us. I was the only person. Right, 100%. And I remember sitting next to John Dealey's wife, Nikki Dealey, still, uh, I could hear her voice. Are you still in that message? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm still, a, uh, I'm not in the group, but I stay connected to them, and I still check on them and things 100%. like that. And so I remember Nikki Dealey uh, sitting right next to me, and she said, hey, you come sit right next to me. And I'm sitting down, and she says, with with my, with Lommel's help, which is the love of her life, that was John, her husband, with his help, I've made $1.5 million. Kayvon, I'm thinking just like you thinking oh, one, you make $1.5 million a year. That's great. Like, drink to that. Yeah, like, yeah, you're doing it. Now when I'm about to tell you, you might choke. <laughs> because I said what you were thinking, and I thought the same thing. You make $1.5 million a year. She said, no, I make $1.5 million a month. <laughs> what? Why am I in this room? What's going on? <laughs> Why am I here? And she gently touched me on my shoulder, and she said, you're here because we want you here.
1: Right, right. And I was right. like, wait That's a minute, what time. is this? Yeah. And so
0: that mastermind group, which was focusing on not only business, they were focusing on the intricate personal parts of your life that they could all give different evaluations about yeah. so that they could put a plan together for you so you can grow. Right, 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 right. And I went to the meeting a few times and then I wound up leaving um, and having a trial to go to the... NFL business class where they had a Notre Dame mm-hmm. and I remember being nervous because as a kid you're thinking Notre Dame the grass is gold flakes you right. hear the, the the mystique and the nostalgia right. and I'm so nervous and I'm a grown man and I'm so nervous to walk on this campus to walk into this business school right and then I got off I flew over South Bend and I'm looking down at it, and I'm like, wait a minute, that just looks like another suburb and looks like a regular place. Right, right, right. So right. my nerves begin to calm down a little bit. And then I get to campus, and I'm walking on campus like, the campus is nice, but it's all right. And my nerves calm down a little bit more. And then I, you know, I walk into the hotel room, and then we get ready for the business class, and I'm in my business attire, and I'm still nervous with the things that they're trying to say. And then I realize I understand what they're saying, and my nerves begin to calm down even more. Right, right, right. So within four days when I wound up leaving the course, because they crammed so much information in, the guy who showed up on campus that was nervous walked off of campus with the mindset of, I can do anything in here. Right, I just yeah. need to understand that like, this is easy. Yeah, 100%. And that's when it changed. But it also changed from being around that group of people yeah. that helped me understand that you can get through anything, face any difficulty. It depends on the team that you have around you that can help you get through it. You don't have to be the person to have the answer. You just have to be the person to find somebody who has the who
1: answer. Who has the answer, yo, yo, yo. Man, I heard a, I, I heard a quote a while ago uh, before I ask you the next question that's that's going to be honestly the most important. Uh, well, not the most important question, but it's going to mean the most for this podcast. But the uh, the quote that I heard was, in five years, you will have the average Of your five closest friends or or the five people you hang around the most you have an average salary of the five people you hang around the most so when i heard that quote i had to do a full reevaluation of who am i hanging out with right and at the time uh i was already hanging out with some some good people so i didn't really have to change a lot of things but
0: um how important do you think that is i think it's very important to be around the people that are very successful i think you have to be very strategic and and align yourself with the right people. 100%. Um, but when you're aligning yourself with the right people, there is a magnetism that winds up happening with that other person that aligns with you.
1: 100%. It's not forced.
0: Right, right. Um, and so when I think about that, I think about the ups and downs. I think about the times with my friends, and they're all actually doing very, very well. Um, I think about the things that I'm walking into and I get excited. I get excited because when I get nervous about something, somebody is a phone call away to say, "Nah, you're going to do that. We got you, keep it moving. Most times it's my friend Bryson, most times it could be Nero, it could be Spencer, it could be a number of people that I call because I know those people, even though they may not be making the amount, the amount of knowledge and wealth of information that they have is going to impact me to push on further. And so when it does that, I fix the next challenge and I just keep going. And as I go up, those friends are doing their own thing and they're rising too. So who knows how this is going to look in the next five years. We may be having a different type of conversation. And we got five friends that are multi, multi multi-millionaires that I'm like, well, it's worked out for everybody. But it's not about the money. It's really about being able to impact the people that are around you. Help people, yeah. Because the money can disappear tomorrow the Mm -hmm. economy can go berserk and we can lose it all Mm -hmm. the influence and the favor that you have with the people that you love and have love for you you can't pay for that
1: you have a lot of knowledge and i feel like a lot of people obviously the normal people the the norm Mm -hmm. don't have the amount of knowledge that you have i feel like you know and that's why i didn't want to lead off the, the episode with Talking about what you did, Mm -hmm. I wanted you to tell who you are because you do have a lot of knowledge. What are some like principles that you stand on as a person, as a man, as a man of
0: God? As a man of God, I am and I do honor. I'm I'm a creation made by God and I am from God. I do live by my purpose. I will work to identify and define where my purpose is. I take every breath that I take as a gift because I don't know when the last one is going to be. I love life. That's, that's, that's deep. And I don't have a bad day, I have a bad moment. A lot of these principles and things that I got that I live by, they became concrete um, some time ago, but they really took a hard hit. Um, my father recently passed in August.
1: Damn, I'm sorry. On
0: my sister's that. birthday. That's all right. Um, When I laid my father down to rest, I understood that what I'm doing and how I'm going about it, I know it's bringing a smile to my father's face. So every day I wake up, I smile internally because I know that I'm doing something and my dad's looking at me like he's doing exactly what I told him to do. Right, right. And I can't be mad at that. The only thing I can do is be happy.
1: Man, that's big time. You know, I uh, that would have been a great spot to end that, but I can't end the episode without <laughs> without putting the emphasis back on the ultimate purpose. And I and I am really sorry about your father. I, I understand. It seemed like he was he was a huge
0: influence in your life. And that was the, the biggest five foot six person I've ever met in my life. My dad's <laughs> five foot six. That to me he was a giant. Right, right. Yeah. So he was five foot six and you turned out like this. Six four, yeah. My mom's five ten, my dad's five six, and I'm six four. That's crazy, yeah. that's
1: crazy. But like I was saying, I can't end the episodes without putting the emphasis on like some of, cause I want, like, like, like the, the whole point of this is to obviously talk about the, the transition, mm-hmm. to talk about you as an actual person and not as an athlete. Mm-hmm. And then also like, I think we need to start not flaunting our investments or flaunting things that we've done, but we do need to start so, showing that side to the Absolutely. world so these youth and you know everybody that's inspired by us can see that there's other ways Absolutely. so what are some investments that you made what are some fields that you're in or that you plan on going into um, what are some you know things that you've done in the past that 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 was successful for you you know what I'm saying like let's let's, let's shed a little bit light on that before okay, we wrap well, up
0: I will say that things that I've done in the past that were successful. Um, I remember, of course, guys put their, their money into the 401ks and they try to save they mm-hmm. try to maximize. I can tell you, I absolutely forgot about that that, that, that plan. And so you maxed it all out. though. I maxed it out. And I completely forgot about it. And the way that I invested, you played 12 years. Yeah, great. I completely forgot about it. So I maxed it out. I invested in I, I, the percentages and the investments. Um, there's a guy named Ross Tucker who's an analyst on like I guess a political podcast right and Ross Tucker has no idea that I did this but Ross Tucker was talking about how to allocate investments in 2002 Wow. I literally did not understand a word that he was saying as he was talking to two other gentlemen that was in the room all I did was write down the percentages of what he said to write down right I had no idea that it was going to turn out the way that it has and so that was another part that was luck um as purposeful investments of course you invest in entertainment you invest in real estate because honestly there's not we can create a whole lot of other different things but there's not a lot of land that can be created so that's always a big investment that's one of your long-term investments that you try to embark on um as far as the market goes uh i would say you know foreign things uh things overseas because we what we don't know most people don't even realize is that although we trade in the New York Stock Exchange, there's a whole nother market that trades after hours that we don't even know about. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. there are certain investments that your financial advisors or people that are in the financial world, can tell you about that work for you while you're asleep. Mm. We not we honestly do not know that information, mm.
1: and that I information didn't know that. is
0: very powerful. Oh yeah. Yeah, the money that you put in the bank, that money is up for investment for investing when the market is closed. You talking about like uh, like forex and stuff like that, or I I don't know the particular names. I just know that it happens. Uh, One of the investments that you can make is to actually invest right back in Chase. If your money's in the Bank of Chase, just for using an example, why wouldn't you not invest in Chase? They're already FDIC and protected, F-I-C or F-D-I-C protected. And they bring in a 20% return a year, and they have done it for the last 25 years. Damn, yeah. So just invest in the bank. Not to mention the cryptocurrencies and things of that nature, but that's so volatile, so. who, especially with what happened to that,
1: FTX yeah ask, that, well,
0: was, that was deep well I mean well I mean Bitcoin is still stable at what $16,752 per coin I
1: yeah, mean it must, was up to 36. you must have looked
0: at it right before we got into this nope. podcast nope <laughs> nope just memorized it I looked at it last week okay cool well, just, uh, I'm just memorizing things and I've always been that kid to think about weird information and I thought that was so interesting so I just yeah. memorized it
1: man Andre man thank you thank you man you you definitely have a lot of insights it's not gonna be the last time you on this show oh you man know, I can't wait to come it's back a, I can't, it's can't so wait to come back man, so much that we got to continue to talk about uh and dive deeper into you know it's some stuff that we gotta do yeah
0: into. That, that might mean need to be another show so we can really <laughs> get into some things that you want to get into
1: yeah man but if uh, we uh, thank you thank you for everything you've done to, with or uh, for me while I was playing um you know I know you know I was going through a lot so um Thank you. No, for real. Thank you for investing time in me. And then also like, now since I'm out of the league and on the gyms, obviously you my offensive line coach. So thank you for that as yeah, well no too. No problem, man. And, and just thank you just being for being a friend too. Yeah. I think relationships, we forget about that. We think about business and all this stuff, but business is relationships.
0: So thank you for a good relationship too. Well, I would say, man, I appreciate it. And you are more than just somebody that I've known that I coached, I, we developed a lot of different things. and. And I also wanna tell you, thank you for the opportunity to 100%. be in those positions, because you didn't have to give me the opportunity to try to prove myself. And I wanna be graceful and grateful and to tell you thank you for the opportunity because that means a lot to me that you would say those words and it means a lot to me as well that I delivered on some of the things that I wanted to do for you.
1: Yeah, no, you, you, you live in your purpose and it's beautiful. Thank you. It,